The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to open your Bibles tonight to John chapter 1, verse 32 is where we'll start. We'll go to multiple passages of Scripture tonight as we uh, seek to finish up what we've been looking at in the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, We have been at this now for a number of weeks, and uh, it's I think been important and and will continue to be important that we seek after the work of the Holy Spirit in our own personal lives as well as here at Abner Creek, and um, that we continue to try to understand as much of God as we possibly can. And the Holy Spirit is not some lesser member of the Trinity, somehow lesser than. Uh, the person of the Father or the person of the Son. But He is in every way God of very God. And if He is, then we don't need to stuff Him away and treat Him as somehow second class. But instead, we also need to seek to understand. So we've been at this and we've looked at the fact that the the Holy Spirit really has four different um, responsibilities, main responsibilities, uh, to carry out, particularly in the life of the church. Uh, we've talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit empowers, the Holy Spirit purifies, the Holy Spirit reveals, and the Holy Spirit unifies. We've looked at all four of those along the way. And what if I told you tonight that based on how you live, that you can potentially see more power of the Holy Spirit in your life or potentially less power of the Holy Spirit in your life? I mean, it, would you want to, would, would that perk your attention just a little bit? Um, I think all of us in the room would say, I would love to have more of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I would, li- I would love to have more empowering. I would love to have more purifying work of the Spirit. I would love to be more unified with brothers and sisters. I would love to know more about God and and more of his word. Um, Well, largely, a lot of it is based on how you and I take what revelation we have and and apply that in our lives. Um, Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, makes this statement. The Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence of the presence and blessing of God according to our response to him, how we respond to him can determine whether or not we have a stronger um, manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our life or weaker. And I want to just walk through what we do on Sunday nights is we're walking through. And in a lot of ways, this is much deeper. We're going to look at kind of a survey of the teaching of Scripture on this. Um, so get ready to turn through the pages of your, your Bible tonight. John one thirty two. Um, I won't have you. Well, I will read it. But and many of you are already there in this particular verse, Jesus was completely without sin. And here in this verse, we read. In, in verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And there's, a, I think, a teaching here, a connection here that w- with the sinlessness of Jesus and the fact that the spirit remained on him. Now, you and I live this side of the cross and we live this side of the ascension. 
and the Holy Spirit has come to reside, to dwell in us, the Spirit doesn't leave us. And so in some ways we could say that the Spirit remains with us, remains in us. But our experience probably is a little less than the experience of Jesus. Um, we don't we don't have that same type of experience of power and closeness with the father at all times, largely because of how we embark into sin. Um, the Bible also says of Jesus, you go a couple chapters over, I won't have you go there, but that Jesus had the spirit without measure. Wouldn't you like to have the spirit without measure? Uh, in the Old Testament, there were cases of this as well. If you look at people like Samson, we've we've looked at Samson, the, his his example for us periodically through this study of the work of the Holy Spirit. Samson was the man who, if you'll remember, um, when I think it was the lion that came at him, uh, might have been a bear, but I think it was the lion that came at him. The Bible says the spirit came on him and he simply ripped it in two like you would tear a young goat. Um, he just rips that thing apart. There was another occasion where he takes the jawbone of a, of a donkey and the spirit enables him to kill all those men. Um, this is the empowering work of Samson. But what happened in Samson's life when he persisted in sin? What happened to his power? It was gone. The Bible says there in the book of Judges, I think in chapter 16, it says that the spirit left him. The Spirit left, and it was directly related to the fact that he persisted in sin, that his weakness was women, and that he, they, he, he continued to pursue after that, and uh, the Spirit wound up departing from him. Um, we see this again, First uh, Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Turn there, First uh, Samuel 16, verse 14. We see this in Saul's life. Saul is jealous of David. We see in verse 14, and um, he is, David is serving in his, uh, in his service. He's serving the king. In verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul was... Um, the man that the people chose, not necessarily God chose, but um, he was in the office of king and he persisted in sin, jealousy of, of David and uh, wanted to try to kill David. And the Bible says here that the spirit departed from him, left him. Uh, even the people of Israel turn to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. Isaiah 63 If you know anything about the um, the people of Israel, they were a fickle people. Uh, at one at one moment, they were praising God and offering sacrifice and uh, setting up altars and this sort of thing and remembering all of his his work on their behalf. And it seemed like the very next moment they were grumbling and complaining and often some type of rebellion. Isaiah 63 verse 10 says, but they rebelled. And grieved his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So we see in the Old Testament that there's 
example after example after example of even in the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit comes to permanently indwell believers, followers of Christ, that there was a direct relationship with their obedience, how they responded to God uh, had direct relationship to the power of the spirit in their lives. You fast forward and you go into the New Testament and uh, turn to Acts chapter seven, verse fifty one. Acts chapter 7, verse 51. This is in the account of um, Stephen preaching the sermon. And this is the last bit of what he is going to say before they stone him. The Holy Spirit here, we're going to learn, that can be grieved and ceased and ceased to bring blessing into a situation. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 7, beginning in 51. Stephen says to them, you stiff necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. There's a there's a sense here in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit can be Grieved, And that's what Stephen is pointing to here. He's telling them you were stiff necked. You didn't hear you. You heard the truth, but you didn't receive it. Which of the prophets did you not persecute and kill? He's telling them that you have grieved the Holy Spirit. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to look through some of these and then we'll we'll process this in just a second. But I want to show you some things. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty five. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me stop right there and just ask you, what, what do you think is meant there by don't grieve the Holy Spirit? Is it possible for us still today to grieve the Holy Spirit? Yeah, but what do we mean when we say that? Okay. Okay, disobedience, continuing in sin. Think about it from the Holy Spirit's perspective. And what do we mean that this is, this is actually doing to the Holy Spirit when we continue to sin? Okay. Well, I don't think you can say it takes him into sin because he's he's God. So we don't take him into sin there. What is it? Okay, restricts. But think about it from from an emotional side of things. If how many parents are in the room? Did you raise your kids to know right from wrong? 
Did you sometimes tell them explicitly in this situation, this is what you are to do and this is what you are not to do? And did they ever do what you told them not to do? Yeah, you get angry. You get upset. I mean, there's times when there's times when you get angry and you say, do you have a brain? You know, something to that effect. But there's another response that comes with it as well. Sometimes it's sadness, it's disappointment. It's it's, you, you hate that they have failed, that they've chosen to rebel, that they've gone this way. And I think that's what we mean here. I think that's what Scripture means here when it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's why I read to you that whole context. All those verses starting in 25, that because the context there says, put away these things. Don't do these things. Let your speech be this way. Don't steal any longer. So that it works, so that you can have something for the good of others. And then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, do this, don't do this. And when you do, in some sense, even though God is not a man like us, in some sense it bothers him. It breaks his heart in, in one sense. I don't want to paint that as if God is sort of this sappy person in the sky who's just waiting for us to return and come back. Um, that's, a, that's a bad image for us to see our God as. But I think we should see the heart of a loving God who wants us to obey because he has set the parameters in place that are good for us. And not only that, but he's our authority. And when we reject that authority and do our own thing, it saddens him. It grieves him. And sometimes it angers him. Um, There's another verse of scripture. Turn to First Thessalonians uh, chapter five, verse 19. First Thessalonians five, verse 19. And just a warning, get ready to go to Song of Solomon as well. First uh, Thessalonians, chapter five, verse 19. Says, do not quench the spirit. And what do we what do we mean there? I mean, we, we talked about grieve, but what do we mean when we say don't quench the spirit? Hold back. Smother. Let me give you a sense of, I think, what this word means and turn, if you will, to Song of Solomon. It's a book that we don't go to very often. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter five. And let's look at verses two through six. It's a fairly graphic picture here. I think it's a really good picture of what this word quench means. Song of Solomon, chapter five, verse two. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound. My beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew. My locks with the drops of the night. Now, the picture here is of this, these, these lovers, these, this, Husband and wife, if you will, 
Um, never calls them that, but let's say that they are husband and wife. They're lovers here. And you see here this woman who is in her own house. She's in her own room. And here in the early morning hours, uh, the, the man wants to come to her. He wants to see her. He wants to wants to be near her, wants to be with her. And he comes and he knocks on the door and it wakes her and she wants to be with him as well. But instead of opening the door right away, she waits. She doesn't come when he calls. She she waits and she doesn't open the door and he piles on these these uh, names for her. He says, my love, my dove, my perfect one. He piles this on. He really wants her to open the door. But look at verse three. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? She's giving excuses as to why she really can't come to the door right now. Verse four, my beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. She hears him at the door and she's thrilled, but she's making excuses as to why she can't come to the door. Verse five, I arose to open my beloved And my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. What this is, is this is a picture of what we do sometimes in quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will prompt us here and reveal here and lead here. And we'll make excuses as to why we can't follow that prompting. And then there are times when we will finally respond, but it is too late. We have passed the opportunity. It's the picture here of a lover not responding in time and her lover on the outside of the door goes away. So what we mean here is there, you know, when the spirit of God prompts, when he leads, when he reveals the time for obedience is then. It's right then. It's not to wait. Now, there are times when when the leading of the spirit is to to wait. Not yet. Maybe something you're praying for. But I'm talking about when something is revealed that this is the spirit of God. And you know that you just know that he's leading you to this. You know, he's leading you to talk to that person or or to take that job or whatever the case may be. And if we make excuses and put it off and wait, then we quench the spirit of God. And there have been times I, there have been times in services and leading. I, um, we, we refer to Ethan as the worship leader. But in all essence, the Bible calls me the worship leader as your pastor. And there have been times in in a service where I have sensed that the spirit was leading me to to go a certain direction or to cut the service off or or to pray for this right then. And I've not done it. And um, and and I've, I've tried to labor on. Maybe it's maybe it's I've prepared this message and and I've got all of these points left to go. And I sense the spirit saying, this is it. That's enough. Bring it in. And and in my own flesh, I've said, but I've prepared all this and it won't make sense unless I go through the rest of it. And so I'll just labor on through and I'll give you the rest of those points. And Terry, you ever done that? Uh, probably probably all have. And we'll get in the car and my wife will say to me, 
it was going really well up until a certain point. But I just felt like you just kind of lost me after this, you know. And why does she say that? Because she was in tune with the spirits leading as well. And I was trying to force something that the spirit wasn't leading to. And I quenched the spirit in that moment by trying to do things my own way. I think that's what we mean here by quenching the spirit. We've got to be sensitive here, too. Um, Ethan and I have gotten to a point where we kind of can read one another uh, in this. We've been doing this together for a good while uh, before we ever were serving together here. We served a good number of years together in Georgia. But um, there are times when I can give Ethan a look and he knows what to do, Um, you know, and and uh, there are times I can read Ethan and know what what he's sensing. And and, uh, we go from there. But I think we as a as a as Christians and also as a church family must be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will quench the spirit of God. and We will cease from counting on him and start counting on ourselves and we won't see a whole lot be done. Well, let's go on a little further. Um, even more serious than grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that there are occasions where we can uh, We can commit deeper, more hardened acts of disobedience that will actually bring um, judgment or punishment of some sort. Uh, Let's look at these together. Acts chapter five, verses one through eleven. Acts five, verse one. In the days of the early church, but a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, keep in mind here, he could have done whatever he wanted to with those, with the land. Sell it, don't sell it, sell it, give part of it, whatever you want to do. Where he went wrong was he tried to lie and say, this is the total price of the land. I'm giving you all of what I made on the land. When he knew, he and his wife, Sapphira, knew that they were keeping back for themselves, but trying to make the rest of the congregation look at them very favorably and deceive them. Verse four, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for this much amount, for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. She just lies to his face. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her already dead carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Yeah, no duh. You know, fear came upon everybody. Wouldn't it? You know, 
I mean, somebody brings an offering in here next week and they bring it up here and and uh, I say, thank you. Well, pastor, this was the whole amount. It's the whole amount. Great. They don't turn before they drop dead. What's going to happen to this congregation? You're either going to say, I'm not putting anything in the plate. Or you're going to say, take it all. <laughs> you know, I, I guarantee you, this is it. This is everything. Great fear comes upon them. And we see in this act, I mean, this doesn't happen, you know, regularly. Aren't you glad? But we see in this that they commit a sin that goes beyond grieving the spirit and goes beyond quenching the spirit. And it brings immediate. Harsh judgment on them. And there are sometimes, even as believers, where we can sin in such a way that God will bring not not eternal judgment per se on us, because if we're truly in Christ, there is no more condemnation. But he will bring sometimes discipline on us. And discipline that sometimes is harsh. Hebrews 5 talks about or Hebrews 12 talks about that he disciplines those whom he loves. And this can happen sometimes when we as believers go off into sin. Um, there are other passages that I, I could read for you there, but uh, we'll leave it at that. That's pretty harsh judgment there. But there's still yet another, probably the, the worst of all. It's possible to go beyond grieving the spirit, quenching the spirit. It's possible to go beyond Sinning in such a way that it brings immediate harsh judgment. It's also possible to so offend the Holy Spirit as to silence his convicting work in your life forever. I mean, it's scary, isn't it? Yeah, to think that God would write Ichabod in some ways over your life. Now, I don't know that this is possible for a believer. But let's look at a, a passage together. Turn to Mark chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 30. Mark 3, beginning in verse 22. And here we see the scribes. Remember, the scribes are part of that whole group. They're the teachers of the law. They're part of that whole group that make up the, the Sanhedrin and, and that religious crowd. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. But they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now, 
This has caused a lot of confusion talking about this sin that is the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this you have to know that this goes beyond merely doubting. Um, Doubting particularly the Holy Spirit's witness about Christ. You may you may um, you may be uh, sitting somewhere at some point. I I hesitate to use use Christians in this, but someone may be sitting there uh, in a church service and hear the gospel and the spirit of God is witnessing to them about this is true. This is the truth of about Jesus. It's one thing for them to doubt that. It'd be another thing for them to out and out deny that. I don't think that's what it's talking about here, because probably there were occasions in your life and in my life before we came to know him as Savior and Lord that we did doubt. And that we did deny that I was saved at eight, so there wasn't a whole lot of that, but. Through the years, there have occasionally been questions or doubts. And as my my faith strengthened through the years, I've, I deal with those, you know, very, very seldom um, today, if ever. But I don't think he's talking about that. I think here instead what he's talking about is the person who sits there and has repeated witness of the Holy Spirit in their life. Repeated witness about Christ and who he is. And they they don't just doubt it or deny it, but they out and out reject it and they rebel against it and they they malign the name of Christ. Now, let me give you an example. I talked I mentioned him this morning, Bill Maher. I don't know that that Bill Maher is forever unregenerate. I can tell you based on what he says and what he's doing right now, he's unregenerate. He's not a saved man. I don't know, though, if he's never going to come to know the Lord. But I think his lifestyle, I think, is is what's pictured here is the person who has had repeated knowledge of the gospel and has not only denied it, not only doubted it, but who adamantly fights against it and who attributes the work of the spirit of God to the devil. Um, I think this is what here is being talked about. You say, isn't that the same thing as someone who who rejects Christ? Well, yeah, in, in a lot of ways it is, but it's going a little further here. They're not just rejecting Christ. They're rejecting him and they're also wanting to smear him. Wanting to um, malign him. And I think that's what they were trying to do. The Pharisees and the scribes were trying to do with Jesus in his day. He's, he's a Beelzebul. His power comes from Satan. They're attributing it to Satan here. Well, if we continually resist and quench and oppose him, his empowering will depart and he will remove much of the blessings of God from our lives. That's a scary, scary place. Uh, I've I've been in services and I've, you know, I've I don't know that I've ever um, habitually not given invitations. I've always given a response time, and we do things a little differently here, reflection and response. But I've always given either invitation times, respond respond times, and I've often said that sometimes that you never know when may be the last time the Spirit of God may 
may draw, may call you. And um, I guard against saying that a whole lot because that can manipulate people. I remember one one lady coming to me um, after I said that one time and she was just just visibly shaken and just in tears, worried that is this the last time have I committed the unpardonable sin? Well, the fact that she's worried about it gives evidence that she is she still has hope. Uh, that the Spirit of God was working in her life and dealing with her. Um, but there are those who sit in church services every single week, and for the life of me, I don't understand why they continue to come, because some of them have hardened their hearts to the point where they have completely shut out God, and God is no longer no longer giving them any witness. I think some of them come probably because um, if they don't, their wife will be on them. Maybe a family member will be on them about, you know, you've got to be there. Maybe it's, it's a social part of their life where they come and they've got a lot of friends there and they can kind of hang out and, and, and be with some of their friends. But that's all it is. And they stopped hearing from God a long time ago. Well, on the other hand, on the other side of this, and before I don't want to leave you on such a negative note, but on the other side of this is that if you and I will respond in obedience, if we will not deny and not malign the name of Christ, but instead respond in faith and obey what he's given us in his word, the Bible says there that that his spirit um, it will empower us. We'll continue to reveal. We'll continue to purify. We'll continue to unify. So what's the secret for church unity? Well, the secret is for us individually to say, I'm going to follow Christ. It's pretty self-explanatory. First Peter, chapter four, uh, verses 12 through 14. Gives a special instance of the spirit of God resting on someone. First Peter four, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. We have promise here. We, you know, this is not something that is bad news. This is good news that if we will pursue him, want our lives to be poured out for him in the power of the spirit, want to obey and want to follow, not in our own strength, but knowing that the gospel changes everything and praying that he would indeed give us the, the faith to obey. Then he promises that the spirit of God will rest on us. It's Kind of similar to what was said about Jesus that we started out with, that the spirit remained on him. And so I think this is important for us to realize that as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, that the work of the Holy Spirit, that he empowers, that he reveals, that he purifies, that he unifies. That we can we can either 
squelch that, quench that, whatever the word you want to use, or we can in some ways encourage that and open ourselves up to that as we will faithfully obey and faithfully follow. Isn't that good? All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, and God, I thank you for loving us. God, thank you for the Spirit. Jesus, we're so thankful for what you did in in living and going to the cross and coming out of the tomb. God, we don't always understand why you leave the world in the condition that it is and why you don't come back. The Bible says that you're you're being long-suffering in that. And God, in the midst of that long suffering, God, that there are times where we feel um, alone. But God, I pray that that you would show us the great reality of the Spirit in our lives. That we would not take the Holy Spirit for granted. But God, that we would seek to want to please you with our lives. And as we do, God, that we would be aware of your spirit and his empowering, his purifying, his unifying, his revealing work in our lives. God, help us to to obey. God, help us not to simply be hearers of the word. But God, as James tells us, help us to also be doers of the word. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in us as we employ what you've told us to be and do. We can't do that in our own strength. We're not saying that. But God, I pray that we would not use it as a cop out either. That we would pursue you um, in the power of the spirit. God, I pray here as for these individuals, as well as this church, God, that you would continue to empower. That you would continue, God, to purify. God, that you would continue to reveal And God, that you would continue to unify us, that you would build your church here. And God, that we as Southern Baptists would be uh, more comfortable in our understanding and our dependence on the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.